Thank you, Lucas. Um, as we prepare to hear the story of Scripture and learn about Jesus just as they are learning about Jesus, let's first pause and ask God to open our hearts to what God might be saying to us this morning. God, I give you thanks for this space where you invite us just as we are. And I pray that right now that each of us can just be, be in this moment, be in the stillness and the silence and the quiet that comes. So that the voices that dictate our lives might quiet for a moment and we might hear yours. The one voice of grace and truth that truly matters. So that maybe when we hear your voice in the scripture proclaimed or in the message received, that we would cherish it and take it to heart and live by it day by day. So come, Holy Spirit, bring us quiet, show us your good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. Our reading today is from Mark 10, verses 17 through 31. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
So, this past week, I got sick. Just got to be careful. Now, I, I know, like with the with the um, with a lot of talk of illness uh, swirling around us, which is important, and we shouldn't make a light of. Uh, the last thing you probably wanted to do is come to church and hear a message about somebody being sick. Um, but bear with me because there's a point to why I'm telling you this. And also perhaps it might assuage your fears if I, I tell you it wasn't anything contagious, but rather just food poisoning. Uh, so, there we go. <laughs> Have no fear. Uh, this past Thursday, just before noon, I got, this, I got the feeling so I looked at Jan, our office manager, and I said, I think I'm getting sick, and I'm going to go home now. <laughs> um, and as I walked slowly toward the door, Jan uh, said, tell me what you need, and I will help you. I'm serious. She said something like that. <laughs> now, it's important for you to know that I'm the type of person who refuses any help when I'm sick. I just want to be left alone to myself to rot. And I'll emerge sometime after that. It'll, it'll be okay. Just don't bother me or help me. And you might be thinking, this guy is really sicker than I thought. <laughs> um, and you're right. Uh, I don't know what possesses me to do that. Maybe it's I don't want to get anybody else sick, uh, or perhaps it's this, most of all, it's this, machismo, prideful, stupid, I can get through this by myself, I'm tough enough, I don't need help when I'm sick. And I'm certain Jan knew this about me. <laughs> um, and that was why she said, let me know what you need. I'm serious. Uh, and she, she knew this because two years earlier, I was in the office and I said, Jan, I think I'm getting sick. And it was another case of the food poisoning. Um, you're probably like, what does this guy eat? <laughs> Don't go out to dinner with me, people. Um, and I proceeded to go home, sit for a moment, and then concoct this plan to go to the store and shop for ibuprofen and saltines and Gatorade and make a big hearty soup to, with kale, nonetheless, to really uh, kick this illness, which I thought was a flu at the time. Uh, the only problem was that my, 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 my mind was willing, but my body was not. And you know when you're getting sick and you feel like it takes most of your energy just to go from sitting up to lying down? <laughs> That's what was going on here. Body aches, weak, uncomfortable, and it took everything in me to go to this store, get all the items. There was a problem with a gift card, so I had to call Price Chop anyway. Um, and, then, and then come back to my house and make, oh gosh, it was... It was so dumb. I'll just put it that way. And it was dumb because there were so many people who I could call, and in less than an hour, there would have been soup and ibuprofen and Gatorade at the doorstep. Not to mention, perhaps, the Center for Disease Control. You never know. <laughs> and in this way, as a step back, I'm warmed. My heart is warmed to know that I'm blessed with so many people who care for me, um, because I don't have the, the mom and the dad and the, the sisters and family out here to take care of me. And I often lament uh, knowing that there are people who don't have family, who don't have people in the same way I do. 
to take care for them and be there for them. Um, nonetheless, I still didn't take advantage of this blessed community that surrounds me. And instead, I chose to grit my teeth and put my head to the grindstone and wear my pride like a badge. <laughs> and it ended up being the most miserable experience of being sick I've ever encountered. Worse than bronchitis. So this past Thursday, while my body was growing more achy and uncomfortable, I swallowed my pride <laughs> and texted Jan. Gatorade, saltines, bone broth. A few hours later, I texted more. Popsicles, bananas. The front door is unlocked, because Lord knows I'm not getting up to get that. And she came with those items and, and more, and let Amos, my dog, out because I couldn't get off the couch. Contacted elders, put them on alert that this was happening, because maybe I wouldn't be able to preach on Sunday. All of these important things in a time of great need, seeing me at my worst, still caring. And I bring this up as a public thank you. <laughs> First of all, uh, but also because my story about my pride and my recognizing my need or lack thereof um, is connected to our passage today about Jesus. There's a young man who comes to Jesus asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives this simple answer. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't cheat, and honor your parents. But teacher, I've kept all these things since I was a boy. The subtlety here when he makes this statement um, is found in the Jewish ceremony of, of coming of age which we might know, you might know, is bar or bat mitzvah. The Jewish faith states that the, the failures and wrongdoings and therefore the punishments of children fall upon the heads and the lives of their parents. But that all changes at age 13 with the mitzvah ceremony, meaning commandments. So it's about them taking responsibility of the commandments. Once these boys and girls go through this ceremony, they're seen as adults, men and women, responsible for their own actions and the consequence thereof. They're eligible to read scripture and lead worship, possess personal property, get married, and of course, follow all 613 Jewish laws. So this guy who comes to Jesus is posturing himself as the image of male maturity and righteousness. Unlike a lot of guys who, like me, maybe in, in the story, strive for being the macho man, uh, the Jewish people strove to be like this guy, blameless, because surely God favored him. But there's another part to this man's story. He's very wealthy. The other subtlety about this passage is that in that time period, wealth was most often considered a sign of God's favor and blessing. If you're rich, it was because God blessed you and favored you. So this man who comes is right in all the right ways and rich. He would have been the epitome of what so many people, even the disciples who were following Jesus, and maybe even us, would have hoped to be. 
And he asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And maybe, maybe he heard about Jesus and how great Jesus is. And so he humbly came asking Jesus this question, hoping Jesus could provide some wisdom that he didn't know about. But what I really believe is, is that this man, even with all the rightness and the riches that he had, knew he was missing something in his life. And he was searching for something that his life of rightness and riches couldn't give him. And after he asked this question about being right, about eternal life, what must he do? It says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Nowhere else in the gospel does it say this sort of phrase, that Jesus looked upon someone and loved him. At least I'm not calling to mind one. It reminds me that Jesus sees. Jesus sees more into our hearts than we could ever know. Deep down within us, knows the good, knows the ugly and the warped part of ourselves that are mingled in with the good. And he still looks at you, at us, with love. I believe part of what Jesus saw is a man who was striving to do good and who had a beautiful heart, but was trying to do it all by himself. And independence is a great thing, but there comes a fault with it. So Jesus says to him, sell what you have, give to the poor, and follow me. And Jesus doesn't give that invitation to just anybody. But when Jesus said this, the man fell, his face fell, and he went away very sad because he had great wealth. I believe that every story has so much meaning to it. And, and a variety of interpretations. But today I want to read this passage with this word to you and for us. That the right man and the rich man walks away from Jesus not because he has money, but because he cannot conceive of salvation and goodness and blessing on the basis of his needs rather than his own effort. And I believe this, this is a faithful interpretation because right before our story that we heard today about this full-grown man who's asking about eternal life, people are bringing children to Jesus. And he says, God's kingdom belongs to these little children. And if you want to receive the kingdom, you must receive it like one who is of a child like one who's in constant need and rely upon, reliance upon a parent for security and survival and food and well-being and purpose and love. The salvation this man seeks is not his, in his ability to obtain it, but in his ability to recognize his need of God and God's will to provide it. This man was made, after all, for a relationship that was intimate, parent and childlike, in a relationship with this creator and redeemer that we meet in Jesus. 
whose eyes bespoke of love. This man wasn't created to follow rules or revel in his riches, but for a relationship that made him truly whole. And the thing that I wonder is, what ways do you see yourself then in this ruler? Self-sufficient, perhaps to a fault in some ways, to the point where you wall yourself off from God and others and your own needs. Lent is a time of reflection, of seeing what's within, purging what might hinder us from connecting to God and to each other in the way that God had intended us. How in your life do you look like me two years ago, muscling it through, unwilling to ask for help because you, you just had to keep the pride or can't admit when you have a need? If you could imagine yourself coming before God on most days, what would that be like? Would you be trying to justify yourself to just be in the presence of God, all the while missing that loving gaze, saying, see God, look here, I did this thing. Do I get your love now? Won't you accept me now? Didn't I get it right here? Didn't I serve these people? So I get a reward. But God's love is not something we can bargain for, but is a free gift that is always given. These postures of pride and self-sufficiency are barriers. Barriers to the one thing we need to say to experience the life we truly long for, which is, Lord, I need you. Maybe behind the postures of pride and self-sufficiency that we put up are are the children inside of us, the very real, important, unmet needs of, of children with the child within us, which God, our one true loving parent, wishes to know and hear and learn from our lips. Lord, I need you. And I need structure because my life feels out of control. I need security because I feel like I always have to feel on guard and I'm always unsafe. I need purpose because my life feels meaningless and directionless. I need connection because I'm lonely and disconnected. I need compassion because I feel nobody understands what I'm going through. I need peace because my life is chaotic. I need to feel loved. In the Apostles' Creed, we confess God our Father. Because God is a parent who wants to provide for us if we might open our hearts to that. And maybe we can find that among us. Maybe we can find those those provisions for our needs that God provides in the community that God provides. At the end of the story, Peter says, Lord, we have left behind everything to follow you. And Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, those who have left homes and brothers and sisters and family and fields and children for me and for spreading my good news will receive a hundredfold, will receive so much 
receive houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and field with persecutions both now and in the age to come. Following Jesus is not a get-rich-quick scheme or about a getting-to-heaven card. It's about these never-ending, life-fulfilling relationships that we can build here in this community. It's about what happened when I left Michigan and came here and found a community that cared for me in my needs and continues to do that. Jan was a gift to me this past Thursday, and she embodied the love of Jesus that Jesus provides and seeks to provide. And I've seen it so much among you all. The way that you care for each other so deeply with prayers and cards and meals and rides to church and visits and helping with so many life challenges. And it is so beautiful. You are doing the work of Jesus already and showing God's love. And that is a wonderful, beautiful thing. And I hope we continue to cultivate that for each other especially the least of these, the least among us, those who walk through those doors most battered from life. Just as Jan served me, the leader, or one of the leaders of this church, we should treat each of us with the greatest respect. So this week, I pray you take time to sit before God, offer God your hearts, your needs, what is at the core of you, And may we offer to one another care and love as we see the Spirit leading us. And through these things, may we know that Jesus looks upon us with loving eyes. Let's pray. Lord our God, you see us and know us better than we know ourselves. And I pray your Holy Spirit would continue to show us the ways that you love us and provide Show us the ways in which you care so deeply for every person, whether or not they've come to know you or not. And may we live as a people both within these walls and wherever we go in our week so that people might know of your great love. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.